Welcome to the Aftershock podcast. We chat about cancer, the word you never want to hear. And the doctor actually broke down and started to cry and asked me if I had family. So that was daunting. The Aftershock podcast speaks to a variety of people that have experienced the ripple effect of a cancer diagnosis. Join us as we explore stories of lost loved ones and speak to those who have had lived experience with the disease. I'm Susie Neat, and this is the Aftershock Podcast. Barry Dubois was enjoying a morning surf when he was hit by a big wave and heard a sharp crack in his neck. The pain that followed forced him to visit his doctor, with scans revealing one of his vertebrae had caved in and was eventually diagnosed with plasma cytoma myeloma. Baz shares with us how his diagnosis changed his life and overall outlook, especially after the birth of his kids. When were you first diagnosed with cancer? First time for me, I think, was 2010-11, so the sort of Christmas of 2011. And it was interesting. I'd been surfing at Christmas time. I went under a wave, and um, the wave sort of hit me on the head, and I heard a really big crack in my neck, and I got pins and needles right through my body. And I thought somehow that I'd done some damage, but uh, I knew it wasn't a hard hit. Um, and a couple of months later, after a lot of physiotherapy and all that sort of stuff, my physiotherapist said, oh, I'm just not comfortable to do any more work uh, on this neck until we find out what's going on. And uh, she insisted that I went and got some x-rays. And when we got the x-rays, we discovered a giant tumor in, my, uh, in the top of my spine at the base of my brain there, which was uh, plasmacytoma myeloma. And... Um, it was gigantic and it had already eaten away my C1 vertebrae and that crack I heard was actually the, the disintegration of my C1 vertebrae, uh, which in turn meant I'd lost, lost the connection between my spine and my head. The only thing holding my head on was pure muscle. So that's why I'd live with really bad headaches the last couple of months and why any sort of sudden movement would uh, give me pins and needles right through. Effectively, I had... You know, people break their neck. I didn't break the spinal cord, but I I lost any mechanical connection. So it's pretty. The doctors are quite amazed, to tell you the truth. But uh, and and also they were amazed in the sense that it was that big because it was into my skull and it was going into further vertebrae as well. So they figured this is in hindsight. They figured that I'd had this for a. Um, I, I, that you couldn't put up with that sort of pain. So this it must be growing so rapidly. But in fact, I'd just been putting up with pain for a long, long time. That's mm. just, I didn't realise that was how it happened. My mum was kind of similar. She had, a, she had heaps of pain down her back that was kind of attributed to sciatic nerve damage, like basically from giving birth and it had weakened her vertebrae. And then when she got scans, they realized there was a tumor in her spine that had damaged her vertebrae and her vertebrae had snapped, um, which, yeah, it's, it's awful. If you go to a doctor because you've got a sore back, they'll look for back problems. If you yeah. go to a doctor because you've got a sore throat, they'll find throat problems. When that doesn't work out, you go and find out that you've got cancer in the back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's amazing that one can't pick the other thing up because I've been to plenty of back specialists over the years prior and sciatic nerve problem was one of the one of the things I got told many, many times. And maybe that was just the start of the plasma cytoma. Exactly. Well, the doctor said to mum, yeah, that they don't know how long it has been in her body. It could have been 20 years. They're not sure. That's it. 
that's it. It's, um, and it's really interesting. It's probably controversial, but I know the cancer I have now, which is um, multiple myeloma, uh, I believe that a lot of that is attributed to radiation. Um, no defined study saying that, but, you know, when you have back injuries and, and that, you have a lot of x-rays, and that's a lot of radiation. And yeah. um, I'm very sceptical. I don't like getting x-rayed, and, I, you know, I won't have my children x-rayed just for for the sake of it. You know, doctors will say, oh, it's got a sore arm, let's x-ray. I say, no, let's not. I mean, if you can give me more evidence that this needs an x-ray, I will. But I think um, yeah, I'm very conscious of that sort of thing now. What went through your mind when you were told you have cancer? Well, it was, uh, it was interesting. I, I was doctor surgery that I didn't know the doctor. I didn't know anyone. And, um, and I just wanted to take the x-rays that I got back to the physiotherapist so they could work on my neck and, and you know, do what I thought had to be done. And the doctor actually broke down and started to cry and asked me if I had family. Hmm. So that was daunting. But uh, me being me, I said to her, you know, just relax. I've got a headache. This is nothing to be too upset about. And she goes, it really is. You've got a, sh- a huge tumor in you. She thought it was in my brain at the time. And she said, I, I-, I don't know what to do. Uh, I don't know where to send you. This isn't good. So that was, it was daunting. It was too, too surreal to be real though. Did you have kids at the time? No, no, I was, I was 50 years old and, um, 50 or yeah, about 50 years old. And I'd had an amazing life. I wasn't scared of anything back then either. I definitely wasn't scared of death. I thought I'd had the greatest life that anyone could have. I didn't want to leave my wife in the lurch. I didn't, you know, I didn't want to go anywhere. But how did you tell her? When the first doctor at the at the clinic said to me, um, "You've got this tumor," I, I rang, rang her up and I said, "Babe, got some problems here. Where are you?" I said, "Go home. I'll talk to you at home." And we talked at home, and and I had to go straight to the hospital to to see the neurosurgeon and the the. Um, uh, the hematologist and the um, I forget what the other doctor was, but you know, so so it was all happening so quick. She, I mean, she, she was scared. Uh, I'm sure um, we were all scared, but uh, at the time, like I said, it's ten years ago. I I was just trying to support everybody else around me, including the doctors. I felt I was trying. Yeah, yeah. What was your support network like? Was it? Was did you find it was helpful? Yeah. Was there anything unhelpful? Yeah, there's plenty of uh, unhelpful things. You learn that quite quickly. Um, doubt and negativity is not helpful. Uh, and if people can't handle what you're going through and and present any sort of negativity or doubt, you're just better off not to have them in your in your world. There's no room for negativity. There's no room for doubt when someone are at the most vulnerable in their life. And um, so I, people, people that I thought would be the strongest people in my life, some of them turned out to be not great support. Uh, but I don't criticise anybody for anything. We all deal with every life's challenge the way we deal with it. But other people who um, you, you, you find yourself leaning on certain people and it's that may or may not surprise you. I, I, I believe every single person's journey is their journey, though. I made friends that I've had for life that from the day I got sick. I mean, the doctor that said, you know, that 
work with me. I can't not say that, guys. Just a huge part of my life now. I didn't know him the day before. So he was an amazing support. So you've been diagnosed? Yeah. What did treatment look like? Treatment was pretty horrific for me. Um, yeah, I mean, they had to open me up from the, from the head to, to about C6 vertebrae. I don't think there is a C6. So from, you know, from the top of, uh, middle of my skull right down to probably the middle of my back, they've got, I think there's six or eight rods in there. There's lots of screws. They grafted bone from my hip and tried to create a spine. They've done a lot of things up there. I mean, anybody that's seen me on telling knows I've got a really stiff neck. And then I had nine weeks, I think it was. Could have been 12 weeks of radio, intense radiotherapy to try and knock the rest of it on the head. So someone who has just been diagnosed, do you give them advice or do you say anything in particular to them? Uh, yeah, I, I, I always do. This is uh, it's a hurdle in life. Everybody goes through hurdles. Um, and... You're, you're about to go into a fight. There's no doubt about it. So prepare yourself as best you can. Mentally prepare yourself. Physically prepare yourself. Nourish your body and be, if you're going to jump in the ring with Mike Tyson, you don't want to be out on the grog the night before it. Uh, get yourself, uh, give yourself the best fighting chance and, and you'll be happy with that. I couldn't go into any fight not being as prepared as I can be. So that's the advice I give everyone. So just getting to know you over the last few months and your personality, would it be fair to say you went into investigative mode and thought, sought out ways to change your lifestyle? Yeah. I mean, when you talk to three doctors and one gives you three months to live, one doesn't know and the other one says, I'll, I'll try anything. I thought, okay, well, I'm going to increase my odds. I'm going to ask 100 doctors and I'm going to choose the information that I feel suits my predicament best. I think that most uh, in the health industry, we, we blanket diagnosis. Um, the second time round when I got the cancer, which was only two or three years ago now, that's my second one, which was a multiple myeloma. Yeah, if you look at the statistics on that, um, it's pretty grim. I mean, it's a maximum, you know, the average maximum is about five years after you've been diagnosed the second time. That's what they say to you. And they say that to you and you listen to that with some sort of belief. But then if you investigate that, you look at most, um, well, I got the second one when I was 57 or 56, uh, 57. Well, most 57-year-olds are uh, overweight. They haven't exercised for the last 10 years. So, you know, I, I feel I'm way ahead of those guys. So I, I don't believe in anything like a blanket diagnosis. I, I just uh, I search out what I need to search out. I, I, I talk to doctors. I, I rank clinics in Germany and Israel. I, I, I searched the clinics that had the best results and I rang them up and asked them why. These cancers aren't super common. Did you find any other patients who were going through something similar? Being one of the things we do wrong, we say cancer and we, and, we, and we sort of put all the cancers. Cancer's cancer, everybody thinks. It's this thing that's got in your body and it's, it's doing something to you. You've caught cancer or you've got cancer, you know. But I always say this, cancer is just a word for when some of the cells in your body mutate into something they're not supposed to be and your body doesn't, doesn't get rid of them because they are, and then they multiply because they're not got, gotten rid of. And I really, the second time around, particularly with the multiple myeloma, I really found out what actually 
I had. It's a couple of cells in my body. Uh, believe it or not, the cells are the cells that eat old blood cells and marrow cells. Well, they've just gone a bit nuts, and they've gone a bit nuts for a reason. So I, I take everything back to the basics with diet and, and, and try and exercise more to get an immune system and to get a more balanced life. Everything in medicine, in my view, is about balance. So if you imbalance your body in one way or another, um, you'll imbalance some cells, and that can cause mutation, which is cancer. So rather than pile chemicals on it and try and kill everything in your body, what I believe, and this is only my belief, is that you should just try and rebalance your body. Think about what Baz Dubois was doing a 1,000 years ago, what sort of food he was eating, what sort of exercise routine he had, what sort of life he led. And it's a very different life to the one we're leading now. You know, we, we eat fast foods, we, we don't sleep much, we have high stress levels, and the, we breathe bad air. Okay? So what I did for myself as a complementary medicine, I had oxygen uh, therapy. So I, I breathe more pure oxygen. I ate purer foods. I exercise like I would have exercised a thousand years ago. I walk to work rather than drive to work. Uh, I just did things like that that in my brain purified me. Uh, so in my brain, I was happier as well. So de-stressed myself. And I, I learned, uh, I went further into meditation and breathing exercises. And I think those things sort of, stabilize you or balance you a little bit and that that was my main concern not what others were doing and not what others were going through just what i could do for myself yeah i think it's such a good point i had a yoga instructor years ago she was amazing she was a hindu and had this amazing belief in modern medicine and spirituality and she said something once that disease is dis-ease when your body and mind's not at ease and i just i think it's like the most accurate line i've ever heard yeah. and it stayed with me ever since and it's interesting that she said that, and I believe that as well. Totally, balance is what I say. And and you're a fool if you don't believe in modern modern medicine, uh, in my opinion, anyway. And but I but you've got to also realise this is really toxic shit. So it's going to uh, de-ease your body even more. It might help, but you you've got to get through that as well. I mean, after the cancer and after the treatment, you've got to get your body back on track quickly as you can and then try and find out yeah i, I don't put too much trouble uh, too much brain work or too much stress into trying to find out why it keeps coming back to me i just try and um balance out everything else i know i shouldn't be on the phone as much as i am but i like where you know i i don't put that phone next to my ear anymore either i used to i just refuse to now if i if i if if i can't hear you like this, I don't talk on the phone. Uh, and, I, and I don't think that'll be enough to, to, to change me. But I know with my children, you, you know, if, if you have children down the track, you, you, you can't keep these devices out of their hands. But I say to the kids, they know, my beautiful children know that I don't want the phone near their genitals. I don't want the phone near their head. It's that simple. And, they're, they're, you know, if it, Arabella and Bennett, They'll set it up on the table on a stand and they can look at it for a certain amount of time and 
do whatever they do, but they can't rest it on their lap and they can't listen to mum and dad on the phone. They have to talk at a distance, you know, just just early training like that. You mentioned your beautiful kids. They're twins. Have, mm. you, have you told them you have cancer? No. Uh, that, they know that I've been sick. They, they know that I've been in hospital. And I just, I, I don't see the benefit in, in trying to explain that we're all going to die. I mean, what I say is, um, like when I got sick, I said, daddy's just going to have to eat better and he's going to have to exercise more and he's going to go to the hospital for a little while to try and um, get stronger quicker. You, know. you mentioned you were diagnosed a second time. Did you have a symptom? Was it a routine check where you found out you were, had yeah. my- multiple myeloma? We're funny things, human beings. We're too smart for our own good. So um, I had the plasma cytoma myeloma. I'm not joking. When I was about 53, so three years after being diagnosed, I reckon I was one of the most fit 53-year-olds in the world. And just killing it. it only eating organic food. It was basically mostly a vegetable diet, you know, small, small amounts of meat protein, fish protein, you know. I was in just great condition. But this world that you and me live in, you know, I mean, think about your life down in Melbourne now at the moment, it's easy to fall into the trap of rewarding ourselves with little things that aren't so good for us. Ah, uh, I'll drive down the shop. Uh, I'll have that ice cream. I'll, I'll have that extra beer. It's the treat oh. yourself life. Yeah, yeah. But those things are not really treating you. They're just building up to hurt you. <laughs> but we, our brains have been taught, and consumerism is another one, we, we teach ourselves to enjoy these things. And, um, and what happened was I was supposed to be having checks every three months, you know, because you've got to keep an eye on what I've got. And, uh, you know, I'm feeling good and I'm relaxed again. And I'm, you know, you're getting back to normal. So you get back to those bad routines and I stopped getting checked and hadn't got checked for a while. And, um, and it had probably been 18 months since I'd had a check. And, and I got this really bad pain in my rib. And, and when you've had cancer, if you get a pain somewhere, you go, oh, sugar. When was the last time I had a check? And I haven't had a check for 18 months. And that started to stress my brain out. And I'm thinking, oh, geez, I can't, not again. I don't want this now. I'm on TV. I've got my beautiful twins. Uh, life's pretty good. Now I am scared. I don't want to go now because the first time I didn't really care. Now I'm really scared. So that really made me stressed out and, and, and all that stuff. So I went in and had a test and just talking to the doctor was enough. I just said, oh, I'm here. He said, no, nah, like, blah, blah, blah. We'll just do some tests anyway. And just that going to the doctor relieved me and took away the stress and, and that. And, and I was meant to make an appointment to go back and see him and I, I didn't even make the appointment. I um, thought, ah, if there's anything wrong, he'll ring me up. And about three weeks later, after I hadn't made the appointment, and I got the private number. He said, hey, Baz, it's, um, it's Dr. Sam. And he said, you were going to make an appointment to come in and see me. I said, oh, yeah, I would have if I thought, uh, yeah, I, I just haven't had time. I'm busy. And I said, I figured you'd ring me up if there was anything wrong. He goes, well, I'm ringing you up. <laughs> so, <laughs> and... Uh, he said, you better come in and see me. We've got a few problems. So, and it crept back because I, I, I let go. Like I said, if you manage every day, 
like the next day you're about to get in the ring with a heavyweight champion of the world, you probably won't get that phone call. But if you relax again and think that uh, when, it, when the match comes, I'll prepare three months, you know, that, that's what happens. That's what happened to me. And, yeah, he rang me up. I went in. It wasn't good. It's multiple myeloma. It's, uh, it's right through my system now. Uh, it's not curable. Um, it's um, the, the cells that are mutating um, affect my whole body. Uh, and so we, we went in and we did the stem cell transplant and, you know, lots of chemotherapy and um, lots, of, lots of therapies. And, and I'm here again now. I actually think I was watching that episode. I think you announced it. My memory could be playing with me on the living room when you had your second diagnosis. And I was, I was watching that episode. And is being on TV and being a personality is that is that harder? Is it easier? Does it does it make any kind of difference? It's interesting, that's for sure. Obviously, TV's pre-recorded, and um, uh, I told Amanda what had happened uh, very soon. As soon as I was diagnosed, I told Amanda, and um, and we, I said to her that I was scared, <laughs> and uh, I'd never been scared before, and I said. Uh, if this is scaring me, this must scare the shit out of a lot of people. And uh, I, I, she said, if anyone can, like, she's a great person to have around. She said, if this was anybody else, I'd be scared as well, but it's you, and I know you'll beat it. And uh, with that, we decided that we will beat it, and um, we not only will beat it, I will go from looking normal to looking very sick, to looking very powerful again. And we'll use our, our little platform to show people that are scared that, that you can do it. And that's what we set out to do. So we, we hadn't talked about it publicly. And um, when I announced it onto the show, most of the people on the show, it was the first time they had heard it. Chris McGill obviously knew, but... None of our production team knew, and um, and it was amazing because we we knew straight away that we'd done the right thing because literally tens of thousands of people, apart from sending me well wishes, which is very powerful, tens of thousands of people said thank you. I feel I can beat it now as well, and uh, that was very powerful for me. Very powerful. Well, I know that wouldn't have been easy and even just being on this podcast and talking, none of this is easy, talking about mm. the past, talking about children, talking about the future. So thank you so much for for coming here. And it's I know it's not easy and there's a lot of memories I have in my memory bank that I like to suppress and they do get lifted mm. to the surface sometimes. But you're right, like we get people reaching out to us and you having the courage to talk about this is huge because um, you are impacting other people's lives. Looking back, what do you think of now when you think of cancer? No one thinks about cancer until I have cancer. <laughs> I think that's a spot-on response. Yeah. Uh, quite frankly, I was very lucky to be at my nephew's birth. Um, uh, his mum didn't have a partner at, at the time. And I 
was deemed to be the person that was going to help out there. It all happened at the last minute. And, and I said this after, it was one of the most fascinating things I've ever seen in my life. But realistically, before that moment, I didn't really believe there was a human inside there. Until you saw it come out, it just didn't make sense. And that's what cancer's like as well. My wife had had cancer. My mum had died of cancer. That's very different to having cancer. I think it's harder to tell people that um, I, I, it's harder to hear, hear that your friends have cancer uh, than it is to tell people. But you don't understand it until you've had it. Um, I don't believe people think about cancer because if they did, fast food shops wouldn't exist. Uh, pollution wouldn't exist. There's so many things in our life that contribute to people dying of cancer, but we accept all those things. We put, we walk around all day with a phone next to our head. There's no way people believe in cancer until they've got it. I completely agree. I look at hospitals as like a parallel universe, and I was ext- I had was very very blessed up until my mum was diagnosed, where I just I wasn't affected. Um, and then you spend a lot of time in there and you see really what goes on. And um, I have found it's hard to shut my eyes to it now. Because, you know, mm. I now, if I drive past a hospital, I don't just see maternity wards or, you know, that the uplifting side. I see oncology wards, surgeries, mm. uh, palliative care units, and you're just exposed to this whole different side of life. It, 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 it's hard, but you, you, you can't take on hard either. You just got... Everybody deals with it the way they deal with it. I, I still eat chocolate. I'm a chocolate addict. It's full of sugar. Sugar is not good for you. Um, but you can't bog down on that either. But I try and exercise a bit more because of it. I, I, even though I don't like rocket, I eat more rocket than I used to do. It's just because I need to balance things up. Life's about balance, that's for sure. But I don't believe that people believe that they're going to get cancer. No one sucks that last cigarette and say, oh, yeah, I'll get cancer and believes it. They think they're into it. There's no 12% of the world dies every year because of smoking. Now, they're going to die anyway, but people that haven't faced mortality don't value a day of life. And, um, and, and what I say now Whilst the meditation and the, um, the exercise and the oxygen chamber and eating good food, if that isn't at all an effort, but it gives me 30 more seconds with my children, it's worth it. When I, I'll, I'll tell you something that's a little gross. Um, when I was going through that chemo, which is the most horrific thing uh, ever, for, uh, I, I said, if someone told me, I had to eat shit every day for the rest of my life not to go through this again. That's what I'll do. You know, but, you know, two years on, I still have a sneaky chocolate every now and then. I mean, I wrote that, what I just said to you, I wrote that down to try and remind myself how fucking bad it is. Yeah, to fall back into the, to the lapse of nature. I know it might sound gross, but I have no doubt someone is listening to this who would have thought the exact same thing after going through treatment like, yeah. like chemo. I have no doubt. You're not the only one. 
Do you still surf? Yeah, try and get out. You know, I'm also a dad now. You know, the, the life I had doesn't exist <laughs> to a dad of twins. It's, I, I think the twins will start surfing this summer. But I, I work a, a huge job. I work, you know, 50 hours a week. I've got twins. I've got my beautiful wife. I'm trying to balance life as best I can to take an hour away from them to go surfing. Um, you know, I, I probably should do it. But that means I, I, I might not get to, you know, I'm doing what I can do the best that will that, that, um, accomplish the most in the amount of time I've got. So meditation's my go-to at the moment. When I have a little bit more time, I will pull on a, a wedding and I'll walk back down the beach and I'll, and I'll meditate out in the surf. Uh, but, you know, my balance now is uh, if I can hug the children for an extra 30 minutes, that's what I'll do. That's that get the same benefit out of that as I do going surfing. I love my surfing now. I love my sailing. I love anything to do with nature. What do you want the future of cancer to look like, the world that your kids will grow up in? That's a big question. That's a really big question, the world that I want my children to grow up in. Um, I'm 60 years old and, and I've seen 60 years of life. And as much as I'm an incredible, positive person, I think the culture of society, the deep culture of society is heading in the wrong direction. I think the, there's fringes and I think the outer layer is cohesive and caring and empathetic. But I don't think we live... I don't think the deep culture of our society is empathetic and and caring and cohesive. So I can let that scare me uh, sometimes, but I'm trying to create a couple of very caring, empathetic humans. And and um, my wife is amazing with nutrition, and we don't go around the bush with that. We, they, my children know if you don't eat well, you get sick. And if you get sick, it's not good. You know, you've seen what happens to daddy when you get sick. You don't want to get sick. So we're pretty blunt with that. I mean, my children don't eat. Uh, I'm the only person in my family that eats chocolate, and there's no way I'd do it in this house. You know, the children just don't see that stuff. We were at a dinner party last night, and the other children got ice creams, um, um, cornettos. And um, Leonie, um, Leonie said, "Yeah, you can have you can have one, uh, but you share you share one. You're not going to have one each." And uh, they said, "Oh, thank you, mummy." You know, like every other kid had as many chocolate and uh, yeah, many lollies and ice creams and that as they want. But our kids know it's not right. But they together they came to Leonie said, "Oh, everybody's having this and that. Is it right if we just have one?" And and mum said, uh, "Yeah, you can have one." And uh, and Arabella, she didn't even finish as an arm. Mum, I don't want to get sick. So some people might think that's a little too strong. It was really interesting when COVID started, you know, like we started telling people you had to wash your hands. I mean, our children wash their hands before every meal since they were two years old. That's been uh, my biggest question with COVID. Why were people not washing their hands? This is just, I, I have no idea why this is sinking in for people that they need to wash their hands. But more so than people, uh, yeah, people definitely. But if you go, to, do do yourself a favour. If there's someone listening to this, next time when you go to the coffee, just have a look what happens. Someone picks up a plate from someone else's table. They take it to the sink. They make a coffee. They bring it out. They pat a dog. They go back. Uh, they 
that's not how it's meant to be. A kid sits in a restaurant now looking at a phone that, that came from the, the mother who blew her nose and passed it to the phone. And then, you know what, it's, they just don't get it. Hygiene is the best medicine in, in the world. If you have hygiene, and uh, you'll get rid of most diseases, I reckon. Well, Baz, thank you so much. I know that wasn't, um, it's not an easy conversation, but like you said, if it, if it helps someone listening, then um, it's pretty worth it. Yeah. You take care and, uh, and uh, we'll talk again. We know these stories are so hard to share and certainly hard to hear. So thank you so much to Baz for sharing your cancer experience. Cancer teaches you some important life lessons, like how important moments are with your family and keeping the healthiest you possible should you ever be put in the ring. Until next time, I'm Susie Neat, and this has been the Aftershock Podcast.